Hey everybody, uh, just doing a quick little forward for this episode. We had some technical difficulties, so it's a little choppy. Um, I don't know if it was a Wi-Fi problem or whatnot. So uh, it's gonna, um, I'm going to add a little ending on this one, but it's just a little preference. We had some technical issues. Um, so I hope you enjoy it, though. The Bad and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me again is... Hey guys, it's Kevin. What's going on? Kevin, welcome back to the show. It's been a little while. Yes, sir. I got a question for you, Tom. When was the last time you remember doing something during the day? <laughs> well, that was when I went to Shell Beach. But <laughs> how did we get how did we get to Shell Beach? I can't remember, man. I, but but I remember you and I were at Shell Beach. <laughs> uh anyway dude i love this movie i i watched it this morning actually i hadn't seen it in 15 years and yeah. uh it's yeah for those, yeah. For those it's awesome. who haven't looked up the uh, title of this episode uh we are doing from 1998 easily the most beloved little scene movie of the 90s in theaters that would be dark city from director david Proyas. Oh man, this is such a great movie. Yeah. I believe, oh, it's, I believe it's Alex Proyas, right? Yeah. David right. S. Goyer co wrote it. There you go. That, that's right, David. Believe it or not, David S. Goyer, who has written some hacky movies and some unusual movies, wrote this epic. But I, admittedly, I think it's safe to say that uh, it's it's not the script. It's ever. It's pretty much this is the a director's perfect movie. Like if you're a director. If you're in director auteurs, this is a fantastic director auteur film. For sure. I, I think, like, Proyas has made some other good stuff. Like, um, he, well, he made The Crow, right? Yeah. Um, and then he made, uh, I'm trying to find his... iRobot. Uh, yeah, after this, of course, iRobot. Uh, looks like he did a lot of kind of documentary stuff before and some short films. Dark City, yeah. The Crow kind of put him on the map. It looks like in Dark City was kind of his, like, you know, here's here's some money, go make what you want kind of deal, you know, like a blank check sort of scenario. Yeah. Um, as long as keep it under budget. Right. And he didn't really seem, you know, like he's done a few things uh, over the years. I Robot being kind of his, looks like a big, you know, kind of his big studio movie. Yeah. Uh, and then Gods of Egypt later. Uh, did you ever see yeah. Knowing, his movie Knowing with Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Yeah, I was about to bring that up. That's probably the other one that I would call like a kind of a hidden gem. Like Roger Ebert raved about that movie, so I was like, I'll give it a shot. I, I love the director, and it's it's a pretty good. Cons- it's really good for like the crazy conspiracy side of it. Um, and you know, Nicolas Cage does exactly what you need a Nicolas Cage performance. So this one, I think though, is perfect because it's really a uh, the less pop, the less you know about the actors, the better. I mean, this is a great like. Let's get, I mean, admittedly, we got Jennifer Conley, who has become a, you know, pretty huge star over the years in, in a kind of, uh, but at the time, her career was kind of, just kind of in, kind of in a weird spot. Mm-hmm. And then we got William Hurt, whose career was kind of, uh, was already kind of in the down slot. And they're two supporting characters. But everybody else, it's a pretty much a very small, mm-hmm. you know, character actor film. Yeah, the, uh, uh, you know, the star, the, the, the protagonist John Murdoch is played by Rufus Sewell, who is a British actor. Who, you know, you, he's one of those guys you kind of just see pop up every once in a while. It's 
Yeah. I'm, I'm not having a hard time pinpointing much else I've seen him in. Um, but his his performance, I mean, he carries the movie great. But this yeah. this movie, to me, like, uh, I don't even know if we've named it yet. Dark City. So the, so the movie's Dark City. Dark City. Um, and this is one of those movies, like, that I remember I, ne- I didn't see at the time. But um, but you mentioned Roger Ebert earlier, and this is one of those movies that Ebert like loved, like championed. Yeah, it was the number one movie of ninety. Right, and like like he, he, it was one of those movies like he kind of championed as like this is the movie you should have seen. You know what I mean? Like, um, and it was, he did the commentary. Yeah, he ended up doing the DVD commentaries. Like I think he did a couple of different commentaries on it. He wrote several essays on it. Uh, so I was familiar with this movie through Ebert's writing before I actually saw it, I saw it kind of based on that. And um, and it's, like I said, it's been since I was in college, since I've seen, uh, since I actually saw this movie. Uh, but I watched it again today. Man, what a timeless piece of work. I love this movie. It's like- Oh, I know. It's so like, it's so well, you're so right to like talk, like, I wish that Alex Proyas had been able to continue to make this kind of personal, original sort of movie because, uh, it's pretty rare that you get a vision so yeah. strong. Like you, you mentioned the auteur idea. Like this thing is just so tightly yeah. well. Like you can tell that he had a true vision in mind when he set out to make this movie. Uh, that's I mean, like it's evident in every shot, every camera movement, all the the great production design, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, just a really solid, strong science fiction movie. Yeah, and essentially he had a lot of interesting luck. So. Um... This film was made in '97, in like early '97, and uh, the studio that shot it was in Australia. He's an Australian director, so he was able to use the Fox studio they had just built. Which, if if you know anything, this is if you watch closely. So this comes out '98, '99. The Matrix comes out. They used literally the same sets. Yeah. They shot back to back. So the Matrix actually took advantage of some of the sets that that, that was made by uh, Dark City. But the studio was being built, so they wanted a big movie to kind of show off what they did so they got a lot of these sets built on a cheaper budget because they were kind of building the studio this is supposed to be their calling car like hey here's what we can do right which if you i mean this movie's got incredible construction and it's also so minimal too because that's one of the things about this film is but one they shot it since it's all night shots everything is uh they, they can kind of do camera tricks but it's also it's like everything's supposed to look unusual for a re- right well i'm glad you mentioned that too because like to me this movie is sort of we might as well go ahead and start talking about the matrix and the yeah. comparisons to the matrix which obviously this movie has a very similar sort of idea in terms of like this hidden world within a world kind of deal where like you know reality isn't really what you what you actually see and when i think about like my memories of watching the matrix and then i think about this movie boy i love i like this movie a whole hell of a lot better i i i, yeah. I i'm i'm a matrix like i like the first matrix movie okay oh i agree it's it's the, good the second are, and are what are. yeah and i and i know like some people like love it and, and i get it it's it's very like it's a really cool movie but like to me and especially like the sequels to the matrix i couldn't handle them dude i just i did not care at all like i went i left i left 20 minutes into matrix reloaded um i just was not into it at all and i just i know it, t- it took for i mean that's i mean we'll save that another podcast down the line because the matrix reloaded is such a 
mess of a movie for interesting reasons. But now, but Dark City. So uh, let's do what the, the the opening shot is kind of complicated because the, the studio made them add the narration because that wasn't supposed to be in it. But the idea is this town suddenly at night, at midnight, everything freezes. Mm-hmm. We don't know why, but everything stops. Everyone seems to fall asleep or at least everything stops for a few minutes. And then suddenly, and then we cut to inside a bathroom in a bathtub. A man wakes up. He hears something like somebody leaving. You hear something break. Maybe you hear a door shut. And he wakes up and he can't remember who he is, how he got there. He gets out of the bathtub and he finds a dead woman in the mo- in the room. Uh, in, basically, he's in a hotel room. And from that point on, it becomes a mystery. Is like, who is he? What happened? Why is everyone asleep randomly except him? And who are these strange people in black suits? that can float after him. And more importantly, who is the mysterious, unusually accented person who keeps trying to uh, contact him? Right. And, and like, so right off the bat, you have that kind of, the, the, all these elements being thrown in to the mix, you know, you pick up Royce's influences, you're clearly like film noir plots or, or, or Hitch, Hitchcockian thrillers, right? Like uh, a man, yeah. a man trying to figure out uh, uh, a mystery or follow some some um, MacGuffin to some conclusion, right? And then you also have like the kind of very heightened, like stylized production design, like like the movie that this that Ebert like to compare this to is like Fritz Lang's yeah. Metropolis, right? Um, or, or M, M yeah. right? Or uh, and even like that you think about very think about the costume design of the of the the strangers, the character, the kind of yeah. the the uh, antagonists of yeah. the movie. It's a very silent movie. Yeah, like Nosferatu, like you see Nosferatu, right? Like these tall, thin, and this big coat. So like, so like clearly he's pulling from like cinematic past. He's also pulling from a lot of um, science fiction. With you know, like there's a lot of those vibes. Like, um, like I see things like yeah. like Blade Runner, for example. Yeah, it's very Phil yeah. yeah. Dick inspired. Um, and when we're talking Philip okay, K. Dick, we're not talking like Blade Runner. We're talking like his early novels, which are more. Uh, conspiracy and uh, you know, uh, and interesting enough, uh, Rufus Sewell is in the star of The Man in the High Castle, right? Series, so oh, that's, that's uh, right. That's so right. That, yeah, so if you've seen that series, he's you know, one of the main characters, and that one is basically what if the Nazis won? You know, so I mean, that's and this, and this film definitely has a paranoid, like, overlord secret society. You know, if you're into conspiracies, this is a, this film's good for kind of delving into your conspiracy nature. But it's not that kind of conspiracy. It's, it's what I love is there's so many themes that are kind of carefully layered in this film, but they all work for what the actual what's really going on. Right. But at, you know, as it turns out, I'll kind of pick up a little bit more on the plot. Like, it, it you come to find out that this this guy John is uh, Murdoch. John Mur- Murdoch. Yeah, is actually like. He's kind of the only one that's awake, right? So you got that classic science fiction plot in there too, always awake, right? Which he's the one who's like literally awake, uh, and the the kind of voodoo that the strangers are running on on everybody else isn't isn't really working on him. So he's like kind of the only one um, that's or one of the only ones. There's the other character that's kind of considered like the madman Walensky, the former police officer, who like. Uh, says the line you know once in a while one of us wakes up right and it's like 
so they kind of become like the the one that can see the truth kind of reminds me of uh, when we talked about uh, they live right like, yes they live is definitely an influence on the film for too. sure you can just see it there's certain details that are yeah you know, there's a john carpenter vibe but you know john carpenter never had this kind of uh i, I would almost say unlimited production value right uh, well and i and uh oh, go ahead man yeah but one of the things I love also is then there is the third person who, you know, you can t- who knows everything but is not a, who is afraid to talk, and that's uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Which another interesting point now. So when this movie comes out, Kiefer Sutherland's career is really kind of in the tank. So they get him for this part, and you know, here's the thing: Kiefer Sutherland, pretty good actor, not one of the best for you to think for a character character because this is straight out a bizarre character he's playing. And he's actually, I would almost say, works better. And when we find out more details of him, it makes sense why he's so twitchy. Because there's certain things about him he can't explain. Because he doesn't know why he does these things. Yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting. Like, I wonder how much of his performance was, like, directed uh, versus how much he, you know, kind of chose. Because he is really yeah. making uh, some choices uh, with the way he's... Uh, he's playing that character and yet like for the listener you know if if you haven't seen this um we probably will spoil it watch it now you, you should watch it but like he is yeah we'll spoil it a he is a whacked out kind of scientist doctor who's kind of under the control of the strangers but he's also kind of half or is he's he? kind of half woke yeah. you know like he's kind of trying to like maybe he's in there in there just playing him and it's kind of that vibe so but his performance is yeah. weird man really fucking wacky yeah and if you've ever seen uh m he's basically kind of yeah. a he, he's sort of taking peter Lorre's mysterious character and kind of peter Lorre's almost these affectations but uh for this character but it, it like i said there's more there's so many layers of his character which i give credit to the right the script and more importantly to goyer for kind of uh, letting letting Sutherland kind of build this character out, you know, because he really should be more bizarre than we get. But the point being is they do a good job of showing this on that there's different layers to the doctor. Uh, but uh, essentially, uh, and of course, Murdoch finds out he has a wife, but they've separated and his wife's played by Jennifer Conley. And uh, she's basically a femme fatale kind of character. She's a nightclub singer and kind of a jazz singer. So she's straight out like a Veronica Lake kind of mysterious or Lauren Bacall character, but she seems so different than some of your classic femme fatale characters. She's very more innocent in a way, in the way, which is the way she's written, but she has kind of a dark backstory. And the other thing that's interesting, Murdoch remembers a couple, for something he remembers a little bit of his childhood, but he can't remember anything else. And after like, there's a certain point where his memory stops. And it's like only only can you remember is Shell Beach, which is he keeps bringing up Shell Beach, and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, but he can't seem to figure out why he can't find Shell Beach or why anyone else seems to remember how to get to Shell Beach. More importantly, he can't remember the name of the, ta- the city there because they're in this this kind of 1940s, 30s city that the sun never shines. Right, and so like you have this built world that that then you have that um you know i wonder how much christopher nolan liked this movie uh because oh, yeah. you see a lot of inception in this as well you know but, definitely inception uh, borrows like ideas. not only borrow it borrows like the production design idea of like building like these fantastical like wor- literal physical world building 
like in front of your eyes. I believe, I believe some of the special effects crews worked on both movies, so that's you know not surprising. Yeah, so like there's the bit where like the strangers have this power, and actually we find out that Murdoch has the same power called tuning, where they can like tune up or change the world the meat of the world right so like um when you when you look at like they can manipulate the way the buildings look and the streets yeah. look and the and they can it's kind of yeah it's sort of like telepathic and telekinetic but also because of something underneath the city they control it they can basically build whatever they right want. And like the matrix they can make things look they can make things appear they can they can make things that they need to appear like a door out of nowhere right or that nobody else can see and and so like you have this kind of like manipulation vibe and that you know that obviously turns out like when you fall as you get to towards the end like that the whole the whole world becomes a manipulation it's very then it does start to feel a lot more like a lot like the matrix um yeah well we've been talking about 20 minutes in this i think we're at the point now we can probably spoil once again if you've not seen the movie go ahead and pause this episode watch it it's uh i know it's on hbl max uh uh but you know if you or go buy it because trust me it's worth it's definitely something you should own if you don't have it all right i'd say we're at 19 minutes in this conversation let's go ahead and do this all right so reality they're on a spaceship mm-hmm. and it's not just any kind of spaceship it's a uh it's basically a gigantic simulation and that dude that shot the shot when they finally went dude, it's that awesome chase sequence it's the only shootout scene in the movie which i love yeah i love how little this movie relies on action and gunplay yeah. like it re- yeah, the strange, you really only get it yeah, at the, the end pack was blades they don't use guns they like using right blades. and there is like a little bit of a shootout scene with the william hurt character and he gets sucked out into space and you're like what the f-? like i remember when i first saw this movie i was like what is this i mean like yeah. i love that idea um yeah that, yeah they get to a wall that says shelby to him and uh, he now william hurt has been this detective trying to solve this case of this serial killer which murdoch apparently is supposed to be but the reality is is that this was another simulation you know yeah, as Bumstead kept telling him, you're not, uh, or Walensky tells Bumstead, you're not my friend. We don't know each other. Because in, in his particular case, his, and here's a better question. Was he awake or did the doctor just give him, sorry, uh, not change his memory? Right. You, 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 cut, you, you start to like, obviously question, especially when it gets to that scene, uh, kind of Kiefer Sutherland's big, uh, like showcasey part where he's like, he has implanted himself in all of Mur- Murdoch's memories. And you like you you start to question like, well, was he guiding this effort the whole time or was? Uh, was it, yeah, he didn't know about Murdoch, but he's been working on trying to create someone to battle the strangers. Because reality, strangers are aliens. They have some sort of a unique hive mind, but their bodies are dying. So they've been kind of inhabiting uh, dead people's bodies. And that's why they all refer to them just as Mr. Book, Mr. Hand, Miss. You know, they're all extremely creepy, but they're also they're all pale because they're dead. They're in bot. They're inhabiting dead bodies. They're not actually, you know, they're they're skin suits. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, that shot, Tom, of like it, it's breathtaking, man. When they first, yeah. When the camera kind of pans out and you get the shot of the whole simulation like the whole city you're out in space and then you see just like the whole city uh kind of kind of floating on a ship in space 
It's just yeah, it's, it's a, upside it's down. Amazing. That's it's amazing. Yeah, it's up. By the way, people don't realize it's upside down. They have a gravitational force in there, but they're intentionally turning away from the sun because the strangers can't handle the light. But this is just like such a pure like cinematic treat, you know, like uh, like like exactly. everything about like it doesn't rely on it relies mostly on practical effects. Um, a lot of the special effects are in camera, so you're not like you you don't sense a whole lot yeah. of CGI. There surely is yeah. some. A building's moving, but that's because it's on wheels, and we only see it from an angle. Right. Being so everything's like very practical and mechanical, and like it just fits the whole vibe and the the production design, the you know, like you said, the '40s art direction and all that. Like it just everything yeah. like really tightly works together visually, kind of highlights yeah. the highlights the kind of narrative that it's trying to tell and, and you know it's what's interesting too is everything has a bizarre like they've time period so and uh, so yeah it seems to have a 1940s aesthetic with certain things like the, the mm -hmm. automat uh but you, there's other details which seem to be like from 50s and 60s and 70s like they they've intentionally pieced parts from different time periods partially just to keep the, the people confused because they don't seem to you know it doesn't make sense for them to realize that something doesn't sure. seem out of place and but they all they get new ones which are implanted boots that the doctor creates through his bizarre uh, equipment which he can memories and they're only running a little confusing, but they were essentially human. Murdoch has been that only has been there, but they didn't know they created it, which is another interesting question. Even Doctor, uh, even the doctor didn't know because he was implanting the murder, the, the memories of a serial killer into him when it, his powers kicked in. Which then brings up another question: How long? And it's never explained. We we won't know this ever. But how long were they on that ship? Yeah, there's a, it leave, obviously it leaves you with a lot of questions. Like, you know, how did they get there? Are they actually real human beings? You know, like like it's I, like I had, I found myself at the end like questioning like the nature of all this. Like, what where uh, where did these people actually come from? How did they get there? How did so like, and, and I like a movie that leaves you with some things to kind of grapple with. Like you could look back at it and watch it multiple times and, and start to try to piece it together. And it's just really, it's really, um, it's just a really strong science fiction. I love the kind of science fiction that I've mentioned this a minute ago, but I'll kind of reiterate. I love the kind of science fiction story that's more about ideas and less about like, like action sequences and 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 heightened like uh, sensational stuff. You know, like there's enough like awesome movie making quality here to catch your attention without having, you know, machine gun. And I'm talking about the Matrix here without having like you know machine gun battles and yeah and uh, crazy CGI slow motion tricks and things like that. Like it, I just really like I, I really value the the practical nature of all this. Uh, no, it, it just makes it weird. Makes it weirder, but it also makes it feel more like. And, um, and you know, there's there's and there's CGI effects in here, but they're so basic. And I, admittedly, 1998 CGI effects were kind of 
hit or miss. You know, you have movies like Titanic having great CGI effects and others not. This one, I think, has the advantage that they didn't try to go for heavy CGI effects, so they're not, you know, they don't overpower it. Like, the, the tuning are clear, are basically kind of a clear lightning you get out of it, or, like, it's supposed to be kind of like that they're using, like, I think telekinesis. But mm-hmm. you know, that's what I love about it. So they don't put a lot of effort into making them too, uh, too elaborate. Yeah. What about that set, man, that uh, when you go kind of into the underworld or whatever, into where the strangers kind of hang, I guess it's kind of under the city. Yeah. Um, I love that whole, the whole look of that set, man, with the, um, you got the big face on the wall kind of deal. It's yeah, it's a very... statue that opens up with a clock. I know, it's, it's so, that's it's... such a German, you know, ex, uh, ex, post-expressionistic post-World War One kind of uh, image, you know? It's it's so it's so Fritz Lang. Yeah, it's great, man. Great. Yeah. It's just a great-looking movie. Yeah. And it's like, a lot of fun. It's And I, I love the running time. It's an hour. It's a tight hour and 40. It's just like, here you go. Here's this awesome. It's fast-paced. The whole thing's a chase. I, it's it's really good. And he wanted to be shorter. They, they made him extend that just a little bit just for a little more clarification. But in a, in a way, that's good. The Keep it as tight as possible. The less we know, the better. Because mm-hmm. I mean, what what when we finally do get mostly an information dump, it's so tight, it's it's just enough that, for it all to make enough sense. We and it's all visually cues too. Like they don't they don't have a guy sit down and tell every detail. You know, doc, the doctor tells some, but he can't remember all of it. So he's like, I, this is all I remember. This is all they let me remember. That's right. what, and that's what I love about it. It's it's very much a film about we don't know enough but we know enough for where we're going and in the end you know john defeats the, all of the strangers right. and uh yeah. and it's such an interesting i'll also love well we we, we kind of skipped over the the well, you know mr he, hand takes john's memories and basically becomes uh, kind of tries to take his life to figure out where he's going but more importantly cannot resist the urge to become the serial killer that the, the uh he was supposed to be Right, the chase builds up when he kind of takes over John's psyche and sort of like it tries to track him with his own memories and things like that. Yeah, like that, and that's super, that's super cool. Uh, that the uh, and then of course, like you were, you're kind of, kind of towards the end, like you know, John sort of gets to kind of battle battle down the the strangers and kind of then the world kind of becomes his, you know, and you you're kind of left with wondering uh, where it's going to go. It's got a nice uh, for a movie that is dark, uh, pun intended, uh, yes. the, it's got a nice ending, and, and it's yes. really Jennifer Connelly is just she's eye candy in this movie, but she's got such a sense of like mystery and like is so good at like kind of just yes. holding your attention without it being like it's not just because she's beautiful, but it's because she's got this presence to her. Yeah, and th- she, there's a reason he's still attra- he's still drawn to her, even though he really doesn't know her. Like right. all of his memories of her, he never got. He's just been kind of, he's drawn to her for, and in the end, she doesn't have his, they erase her memory, so he has to start over with her, but that's not a bad thing. He wants to, he wants to kind of build a new life with her, and I, I like that idea. You know, he builds Shell Beach, he turns the ship over, the sun is shining, it's going to be different. Now, he doesn't know what to do after that, which I think is an interesting point. He's just going to start his own life and figure out from there what, the, whatever else should do. But that's kind of also an interesting point that nobody has their memory. So, what you know, like whatever happens to the sh- what this ship winds up doing later on, 
give me another question. I assume the doctor will have to be the one who has to kind of go around and to do. Right. And kind Since of he knows what the person right. He invented everyone's memories, so. Yeah. It's so solid. I mean, like the memory erasure thing, like you got some, uh, you got some, uh, what's the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind just came to mind. And that's got some of that tricky world building stuff. Like this movie, I feel like this movie is like incredibly influential, but it's almost never talked about, you know, like I hardly ever see it on like people's list of best movies ever. Like it's, it's, I think it's the under, underseen gene, yeah. man. Yeah, and something we should bring out. Okay, this movie was a huge flop when it came out, but it kept flopped because of a couple reasons. It was supposed to come out in the fall of 97. It got delayed partially because they were not sure how to market the film, which is hard to market this film. But then they pushed it back partially because it was going to come out near the release of Titanic. Titanic was supposed to come out in summer of 97. It got pushed to December of 97. So they pushed it to... February of 98. Now, in February 98, most people that, you know, were seen only one movie that year. Everyone went saw Titanic over and over and over again. So, it wound up... Now, some movies like... I remember The Wedding Singer did pretty well up against Titanic in that time period also. But Dark City, they had... The advertising was so confusing that it was a total flop because they could not explain what it was without trying not to give away anything, which... I give them credit for. Right, when it doesn't have... Weird conspiracy film with strange people. And it doesn't have a star. And the the known actors, like you said, that are in it were kind of in kind of low parts of their careers. So you kind of have, like, it just kind of came out in a time and place where it just wasn't, it was kind of, you know, it's easy to say things are ahead of their time, but like, it kind of was, and it came out in a weird time. I mean, dropping a movie in February, you're just, like, looking for a loser, man. Like, it's yeah. it's just the, the worst time to, to yeah. release a movie. It, well, you know, Roger Ebert was the champion of this film. He loved it. He raved about it. And, and once it hit video uh, that that summer of 98, I remember I saw it. I told everybody, we got to watch this. And I remember my sci-fi club in college, we watched it. Everybody agreed it was fantastic. It, it kind of be, and the thing is, after a while, whenever you, somebody wanted to turn that, something had to be turned off. Everyone would shout, "Shut it down! Shut it down forever!" Yeah. It became a kind of a, a catchphrase for a lot of nerds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's what I love. I mean, it's it's such a unique film, and like I said, it's it's if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's mind-blowingly how good it is. Holds up. 22 years later yeah and it's one of those movies that you could uh it's almost like you could just turn the sound off and just watch it and it's visually yeah. it's just visually so incredible there are sections of the film where lines were not supposed to be in the you know the studio insisted yeah narration stuff so or <clears throat> if you if you turn if you turn it i mean people do watch it uh, uh we'll screen it without the sound on at all really for certain parts of the film they make it more of a uh, more mysterious. Yeah, I mean the score is great. So like if you just isolated, the, like if you just watched it as like a silent film, right? Like with the score added, man, it's good. It would be. It's yeah. you could still find some find a lot yeah. of value there. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert. The director's cut. Roger Ebert. Yeah, the director's cut to the option to turn off all dialogue. Right. Well, either way, like I mean, like Roger Ebert said, uh, read in his essay on it that they like he went through it frame by frame at some university uh, yeah. with a with a class of film students, I suppose. And like he just mentions like how how visually, like you could just stop and admire 
a frame of this, you know, frames yeah. of this movie, just in how incredibly uh, visually stunning they are. Like everything matters in that film. Yeah, the, the like the shot. Oh my gosh! Like there are some when you're introduced to the William Hurt character for the first time. Just there's this shot that is just so <laughs> classic, and I can't even I can't exactly remember what it is, but it is. It's just like everything you need to know about this movie in like two two yeah, quick shots. Playing the accordion. Yeah. Yeah, wakes yeah. up playing you see him kind of raise up and playing the accordions if he's uh yeah and it's kind of it's like he's playing that old beat up an accordion yeah but yeah totally <laughs> definitely recommend yeah. it man i love this love this movie yeah that's what i love about this film there's just the pieces and you know roger ebert did that for very select movies where he would do at his ebert fest mm-hmm. they call it the interrupt this where you would go shot by shot for an entire film it would take something he said dark city took a week Mm-hmm. They do five hours a day going through each shot, pause, and within a class, they would go through every little detail. It's something that's, and you know, he's there. Na- All right, so I think we're kind of need to be coming to the final bit of this. Uh, Kevin, what, you got any final thoughts you want to throw in on this? Well, I just, you know, like, I think movies like this, it's when I'm reminded of, like kind of my favorite sort of movie this kind of fits right in because i'm i'm really big into science fiction um and i i just you know you see a lot of this is just another in a long line of really good um sci-fi stories that are you know kind of the chosen one narrative right like this this character is given um kind of the thing that nobody else can see and is able to kind of navigate through a world and change and kind of break free of whatever control is being put on them. And so it's just a class, it fits that classic mold, but it also like, it loves movies. It's, it's in love with the history of movies. It has a statement to make about where, where movies would go in the future. So I really think like more than anything, this is not only a good film uh, or a nerdy film, but it's also like kind of a stands as a classic and I, I hope, I, you know, I hope maybe we can inspire some people to w- give it a watch because I, I really, like I said, I don't think a lot of people, uh, it's, if they have seen it, they don't talk about it. It's got high ratings on IMDb. Um, you've got the champions of it, like the late Roger Ebert. But, like, it's just one of those movies, like, I really, you see um, little bits of it in all kinds of other movies, and you don't really ever hear anybody much talk about it. So I think we should talk no. about this thing more. It's really great. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this, they live. I mean, there's all these great kind of smaller budget, but high concept films about basically, and this is the film about control and about essentially uh, what what your memories are to, you know, Memento is another one that I, I would say, you mm-hmm. know, borrows a lot from this film. Yeah, so, no, Christopher uh, Nolan had to have seen this movie, man. Uh, Christopher Nolan has to love this movie. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I've, I, maybe we can get Nolan and Proyas to collaborate on something in the future if it's possible. Right but on. anyway, uh, like I said, I highly recommend if you can watch this movie. It's a dark film. And admittedly, one thing I didn't bring up is that a lot of the tone, the morbidness, the gothicness, because this is definitely a gothic film, you know, Proyas, you know, kind of felt like it put, put a lot of his sorrow what happened on the death of Brandon Lee during the crisis. 
So apparently uh, the stranger shut us down one more time and uh, we just couldn't get a good signal after that. So uh, I'm going to give my final little bit, which is please, if you've not, you know, please, if you know somebody who's not seen Dark City, show it to them. It's a pretty much as we describe a masterpiece of filmmaking. It's one of the films that I think really has had more impact on cinematography, editing, and, you know, to a lesser extent, story development than a lot of other films have. You know, some would argue, you know, that The Matrix may have stolen a little bit of thunder for kind of having some interesting similarities and having a little bit bigger success. But, as I'd like to point out, this is just a case of what people remember more and what have they have better feelings about. This is a true standalone film. I would never, ever want to see more of these characters again, uh, only on the grounds that I don't think any kind of future is of uh, exploration for this. I wouldn't even want a prequel, even. Yeah, I've heard there was rumor there was talk of a prequel a few years ago, but no, let's not do a prequel. Let's do you know this movie's perfect as it is. Anyway, uh, my name's Sam, and of course Kevin was also on here. Uh, thanks for listening. Our final thought: Shut it down. Shut it down forever. Thank you all.